Wherever we spend our days, we live them out for Him. Why? Because we love Him. And the day will come when we with countless billions throughout all eternity will gather and say, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! The Lord God Almighty reigns. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. If you have been with us over the last few weeks, you will know that we are steadily working our way through the New Testament book of Revelation, and it has not been an easy book to study. And now we're coming to chapter 19. And as you ease into chapter 19, you will hear it in our reading this morning, there is a definite sense of anticipation and expectation. It's almost as if we have turned a corner. And over the next three, four Sundays, we'll be making our way towards chapter 22. But chapter 19 is a definitive turning point. The Apostle John writes these words. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are His judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of His servants. And again He shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, and they cried, Amen, Hallelujah. Then came from the throne a voice saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, both small and great, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with our brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. As you know, we have been making our way through the book of Revelation. And chapter 19, very naturally, in terms of its context and its focus and its style, follows chapter 18. 
Sometimes as you're reading Scriptures, you start a new chapter, you start a new section and a new focus and new content, but not in Revelation. 19 very naturally follows 18 in its focus. And if you were with us last Sunday morning, you will remember that I said then and have been saying for several weeks now, Revelation is not an easy book to study. And yet, the deeper you get into it, the more you're willing to explore, then you begin to become familiar with the language that John is using. You begin to understand the intricacies. You begin to understand something of the incomprehensible nature of apocalyptic writing. The imagery and the symbolism begin to mean something. And slowly but surely, God puts in place all that He is revealing to us in Revelation. And this morning, as we get further into chapter 19, you will have that sense of anticipation, of expectation, that God is at last, finally, drawing together the culmination of all that was and is and is to come, and you'll feel and sense it. And the first thing you notice is this. When you come to chapter 19, just look at the entire passage if you can. Hold it at Adam's length and ask yourself, what is it that stands out? And it's one word. And it appears four times. Verse 1, hallelujah. Verse 3, hallelujah. Verse 4, amen and hallelujah. And verse 6, hallelujah. And John uses that same word again and again and again. And whenever you come across a passage of Scripture and the biblical writer repeats himself and you see it quite clearly in a stark manner, your head should come up. There should be a sense of something special is happening here because the biblical writers did not have the word processing facilities we have. They don't underline. They don't highlight in yellow. They don't make it in bold. They don't indent the paragraph. And so repetition is how the Bible writers get our attention. And John does it with that wonderful fourfold use of hallelujah. The word hallelujah is found nowhere else in the New Testament in chapter 19. Isn't that incredible? You would think such a well-known Christian word that would be scattered throughout Scripture, but nowhere else, the entirety of the New Testament, right here, four times. And why? Because if you were with us last week, you will remember that John in chapter 18 is writing about the fall of Babylon. Now, in Revelation, Babylon is symbolic for all that is evil. Think back through the centuries to individuals, autocratic leaders, dictators, people who were cruel, without mercy, abused their own power, abused their own people, took countries to war that ended up in famine and chaos and poverty and injustice, and it went on for decades. And if you're needing an image to have in your mind, think of Nazi Germany in the mid-1930s to the mid-1940s. Pernicious wickedness and evil incarnate was manifest in those years that ended up in a world war. 
In fact, statisticians tell us, and you've heard me say this before, they can't give us a definitive number. Somewhere between 65 and 85 or 90 million people lost their lives, and it brought devastation, corruption, enslavement with it. Just awful. And what John is telling us in chapter 19 is this, that as he looks back down through the millennia, to eternity past in the very beginning of time. And when sin first entered into the world, what John is telling us here is this, that it is over. It is done. The pain and the grief and the injustice and the death and the chaos and the mayhem and the violence and the debilitating consequences of sin is now over. Babylon has fallen and humanity has been emancipated from the intoxicating, tranquilizing, deceptive addiction to sin and it is gone, period. And that's why John begins 19 the way he does. Hallelujah for salvation and glory and power belong to our God. That's the point he's making. And the great multitudes in heaven shout hallelujah. And notice what they say. Salvation and glory belong to God. And John is giving us a picture, a word picture of God's sovereign providential care and salvation for all of humanity. He orchestrates and engineers in the midst of the chaos and the violence and the sin and the selfishness and the devastating consequence of sin. He is still at work, bringing to pass his purpose and will, moving history towards its final culmination when Christ shall return. That's what's going on here. Now, why the word hallelujah? Well, you've heard me say many times, and we know it to be true from Scripture, that God never works in a vacuum And by that I mean this, each time you come to a passage of Scripture, God has been there before us. And in Revelation 19, with its repetitive fourfold use of hallelujah, the question is, what is the context of the use of hallelujah? If you go back to the Old Testament book of the Psalms, from Psalm 146 to Psalm 150, it is used several times there. But you've still got to go back a little further to understand its significance in Revelation 19. And in Psalm 113 and 14 and 15 and 16 and 17 and 18, those Psalms were used by the Jewish people on the night of the Passover. And so 113 and 114 would be sung before the Passover meal began. And then 15, 16, 17, and 18 would be sung after the Passover meal was complete. And why is that significant? It's significant for this reason. That what they were celebrating was their emancipation from the people and princes and rulers of Egypt. 
They wanted to be free. They wanted to establish their own nation. They wanted to freedom to raise children and worship God as they wished. And it's significant. Why? Because now in Revelation, we have again the emancipation from that intoxifying and addictive quality of sin. And that's the parallel that's going on. And the other thing that's worth remembering is this, that Mark's gospel records that after supper, they sang a hymn and went out. And they would be singing from Psalm 115 and 16 and 17 and 18, which one we just don't know. But in those Psalms, you read the word hallelujah. And can you imagine as the apostles were gathered around that table singing what was going on in the heart and mind and soul of Jesus? He knew what was coming over the next three days. He understood the pain and the devastation that he would go through, the separation from his father. He knew he would cry out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew that was coming, and he knew that God himself, at the point of his son's greatest need, turned his back and walked away from sin itself. In order, in order to bring about Easter Sunday in victory, and Jesus was abandoned to the horror of sin, and left lonely. And can you imagine him trying to think hallelujah the night before? Can you imagine all that was going through his mind? And what he was doing was this. He wasn't focused on Friday. He was focused on Sunday. Because he knew what was coming. And he knew that his heavenly father was still sovereign and still held this world in the palm of his hand. And the salvation of all of humanity was safe because God was at work. And a day would come when the 24 elders and the four living creatures, symbolic of the ends of the earth, would cry out, Hallelujah! The Lord God Almighty reigns. That's what's going on here. That's why we read verse 5. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise her God, because they understood what was happening. And notice in verse 6, and John writes, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Please hear this. This is not the moment for zoning out in the middle of the sermon. If the person, person sitting next to you is dozing, this is the time to give them a nudge and tell them, pay attention. This is it. I need you to get it. When John writes, the Lord God Almighty reigns. Please hear those words. Let them sink in. Let them overwhelm you. Let them get to the very heart and soul of your life. 
The Lord God Almighty reigns, not just Sunday morning, not just Sunday afternoon, not just Monday, not just days when you feel blessed and encouraged and strengthened in your faith, but also the days when you think you cannot take another step, when your sense is that God is far off and He's not answering your prayers. And why would He put you through this? Please remember, the Lord God Almighty still reigns, and He's bringing to pass His purpose and His will. And that's why John can say, hallelujah. Now, remember what's going on. Who is John writing to? He's writing to seven cities in Asia Minor, congregations who lived and worked and had their very existence at the heart of a city. And he's saying to them this, that in the year AD 95, they were going through persecution. And some of John's original readers would have lost parents and grandparents and sons and daughters to the persecution of the Roman emperor Domitian. And John is saying, even though times are hard, even though it's tough, even though you're facing difficult days, understand this. The Lord God Almighty reigns, and He still has you, and He will not let you go, and He will not abandon you, and He will continue to wrap you in His arms of love and grace, and He loves you in an outlandish, extravagant, extreme manner. You are His. He's got you and will not abandon you, and will not let you go. Was there any more important message in the first century? And here is the question, is there any more important message in the 21st century? That's why John goes to great pains. And also remember this, that throughout this chapter, when John writes, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, he was sincere. He meant it. He wasn't just writing out of passionate enthusiasm, although that certainly is there, but understand what was happening to John. John was going through a moment of revelation. And for some of us, we have had similar experience, not to that intensity, not in the same way, but we equally have had moments that live in our memory. We walked across a stage the day we graduated from school when we were told as a student we are nothing and would amount to nothing. And yet we were there. And then four years later to graduate from college and begin to step out on your own as a young adult and find a job and enter the marketplace to fall in love, become engaged, get married. Do you remember the day your first child arrived and then another and another and another? Do you remember that as parents, grandparents? Oh, grandparents, remember it. I am the recipient of 40 new uh, cell phone photographs from several grandparents this week. 
It is so much fun. It is thrilling and delightful. Stand on the southern rim of the Grand Canyon and look out at the awesome majesty of God's created order. Come through the tunnel on your way to Yosemite and you look out across the Yosemite Valley. It is spectacular. But please hear this. When John says, the Lord God Almighty reigns, John was being revealed to the majesty and the grace and the grandeur and the incomparable nature of Father, Son, and Spirit. And it was as if the whole earth was heaving under his feet and he couldn't take it in. He couldn't take it in. The only thing he could do was worship, was worship, and say, hallelujah, the Lord God Almighty reigns. And John realized that all of the millennia which had been, and all of the millennia still to come, God was still in control, bringing to pass His purpose and His will. That's what's going on here. And the majesty and the grace and the grandeur and the splendor of our incomparable God caused John to be lost in wonder, love, and praise. What would you give for such an experience? Please know this. That was an experience that one day we too shall have. On that bright and cloudless morning when the dead in Christ shall rise and the glory of the resurrection shares, when the roll is called up yonder, we'll be there. We'll be there. And all of the promises will come to fruition and all of the holiness and the character and the overwhelming purity of the very nature of God Himself, we will be exposed to. And the first thing we will do is worship. And what is the best definition of worship? Well, I think this is the best one I've come across, and I've looked multiple times. And it was written by Archbishop William Temple in the early 1940, when London was going through a blitz, and this is what he wrote, worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. It is the quickening of the conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of the mind with His truth, the purifying of the imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, the surrender of the will to His purpose, and all this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. That's, that's worship. And the day will come when we with countless billions throughout all eternity will gather and say, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! The Lord God Almighty reigns. Amen. 
Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. Thank you for its call upon our lives. Engage us, heart and mind and soul, to be pivotal people. A people who love our city, who serve our community, whose greatest desire is for others to be exposed to your love and grace. Father, bless us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sign up now for summer camps at First Presbyterian Church. Summer at First is a place where campers have fun as they make friends and learn about God. Camp counselors help build strong character in the lives of young people through daily Bible stories, music, games, crafts, and prayer. Our ministry is available for ages three months through rising sixth grade. More information at firstpresgreenville.org.